0: Today's message is from our executive pastor, Pastor Kevin Kelts. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Awesome, awesome. Well, listen, guys, I am excited to be able to bring the word to you this morning. Um, we've been in a series. You can look right up here on the screen and see that we've been in a series called Bible 101 for adults, and I was telling Pastor Jared, um, you know, I've been in church my whole life, but in the last two weeks, I have learned some things new that I just didn't necessarily know, and I'd love being a part of this church and part of this fellowship. I love as a as a teaching pastor here, being able to be able to sit down and be able to hear and learn and be fed. For years, I was a pastor just out by myself and I was just always just you know pouring out, pouring out, not being able to be fed in. And I love, Pastor Jerry and I were talking about it the other day, just kind of something that we have going on that's really special is we're not getting burnt out, either one of us. We're both getting fed, and so it's awesome. If you've missed any of these services, please go back, listen to them uh, online. You can watch on Facebook and, and listen right now. Go ahead and check in on our Facebook page. Awesome, awesome. So here we go. We're going to just jump right into this this series that we've been in called Bible 101 for Adults. And And so the reason that we wanted to do this is because here's the thing. Most of us know Bible stories, and in fact, I could probably pass the microphone around right now and say, tell me a Bible story, and everyone here would be able to tell a Bible story, but here's the thing, and and something that, that I find troubling is very few of us know the story of the Bible. We don't know how we got the Bible. We don't know what's behind. it. I'm convinced that knowing the story of the Bible and knowing how we got the Bible is almost as important as knowing what's in the Bible, and here's why. If you don't know the story of the Bible, then it's easy to discount or dismiss the stories that are actually in Bible. The Bible. Has anybody ever ran across something like that before where there was something that somebody pointed out to you and said, Listen, this is kind of where I got away from the church, or I've never actually been a part of the church, and this is the reason I won't be a part of the church, is because they found something in the Bible and now they're discounting it. And I'm telling you, if we now know the story, and I'm going to explain some things to you this morning, if you know the story of the Bible, then you won't be able to get tripped up on some of the things that you've been tripped up on before. See, by the time that you got a Bible, say when you got your first Bible, if it was you as a child, or maybe you're an adult, you got your first Bible. When you got that Bible, it was charted, it was versed, it was mapped, it was wrapped. But listen, that is not how the world got the Bible. That's not how it came. Jesus didn't write the Bible. That's something that we've maybe learned. But if it weren't for Jesus, guess what, guys? There would not be a B-I-B-L-E because the story of the Bible, listen to me, doesn't begin with Genesis. The story of the Bible actually begins with Jesus. And here's why I say that. The story of the Bible actually begins in the first century when people came and found the temple of Jesus was empty. And then when they saw it was empty, they actually then saw Jesus now walking around alive. He had been raised from the dead and his cowardly followers who, when he was being you know beaten and he was, was being put on the cross, when they ran away and they had fear, when they were doing that, now all of a sudden when he came back alive, alive, they showed up with no more fear. They show up in boldness and now start to proclaim that he is back. He's alive from the dead and he is the savior. And thousands of Jewish people right there in Jerusalem, right where he, Jesus had been crucified, where he had been beaten, where he died, where they had denied him as Messiah. Now, many Jews are coming to believe in Jesus as their savior. The church is now being launched and is being begun. And suddenly, something is true that wasn't true before. Suddenly, there was an interest in documenting the life, the words and the works of this guy, Jesus. And it wasn't like that before. Because listen, if Jesus had stayed dead, we probably would have never heard of Jesus because there would have been no church, there would have been no Christianity, and consequently, then there would have never been a Bible, what we understand today as the canon of Scripture. And that's why the story of the Bible actually begins with the resurrection of Jesus and not Genesis, right? This is some things that Pastor Jared was talking about last week. Well, eventually, the Apostle Paul, who we'll really get into next week, and some other people, they left Jerusalem, they leave the region of Judea, and they start to go to the major ports, cities around the Mediterranean basis, and they are now spreading the gospel. But they begin to share the story of Jesus, how he died, how he had proclaimed the kingdom, and then he now was not just dead. God had raised him from the dead to punctuate what Jesus had already been claiming about himself, that he was God, and what he was saying was going to happen now in the earth. And so because of that, during that time, men began to document Jesus's life. Please understand, if there had been no resurrection, guys, there would be no need to document We wouldn't have what we know today now as the New Testament. In fact, Luke, a doctor in the first century, tells us that many people now started to try to document the life of Jesus. Pastor Jared talked about this last week. This is where we get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are four accounts of the life of Jesus. These are two Greeks and two Jews who sat down, and they began to write out and document the life of Jesus. Then eventually, the apostle Paul, he leaves the region of Judea. He leaves the region of Galilee, and he begins to spread the word about Jesus and his teachings to Gentiles in the Mediterranean. So Paul was a Jew, and now he leaves this this uh, predominantly Jewish uh, people that he's around, and he wants to spread it into all people. Everybody say all. He wants to spread it to all people. In that time, when you hear the word Gentile, it's just referring to anybody that was not born a Jew, okay? And so what happens is this thing starts to really spread, people start to believe. They're like, are you kidding me? You, There was a guy who proclaimed he was God, and he's performed signs, wonders, and miracles. Y'all walked with him, and then y'all saw him die. In fact, we have all heard about that. We heard about this crucifixion. We heard about this guy dying. We heard about some of these things, and then you're saying that y'all saw him come back from the dead? It's like, yes, we saw him. We walked with him. We had breakfast with him. And the Gentiles now in the Mediterranean, they are excited. They actually start to believe in Christ. They start to believe, and the church is growing even more. Now, listen, these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, they became so enamored with a particular Jew, speaking of Jesus, everybody say Jesus, and immediately they became enamored with the sacred text of the jews now that sacred text of the jews it's called the jewish scripture or the hebrew bible today we refer to it as the old testament everybody say old testament so if you hear me today say the old testament i could also be i could also call it the hebrew bible i could also call it the jewish scripture it's the same thing Everybody understand, at this point in time, there's no of the Bible as we know it, correct? Right? And so what they knew, and this is, in G, if you go and read in what you now know as the Holy Bible, and you ever hear Jesus refer to the law and the prophets, Jesus didn't call it the Jewish scripture. He didn't call it the Hebrew Bible. What did Jesus call the Old Testament? He called it the law and the prophets these gentiles are enamored with jesus and so now they are enamored with the sacred sacred text of the jews now in the late first century and especially in the second century gentile christians embraced the hebrew bible what we now call the old testament They embraced it as scripture, but here's where it kinda gets complicated. They did not embrace the Hebrew Bible, what we now call the Old Testament, as Jewish scripture. They embraced them as Christian scripture. Think about what I just said. They didn't embrace them as Jewish scripture, they said this is Christian scripture because while Gentiles were certainly interested in the Jewish scriptures, they were not in the least bit interested in the Jewish religion. Now, we've been teaching about the Jewish religion, and it had been going for a long time, and they were in the middle of an old covenant, and Jesus came, and he says, I've come to fulfill that covenant. I've come to start a new one. And so, when when these people grab on and they latch on to what we call the Old Testament, the, the Law and the Prophets, the, the Hebrew Bible, when they do that, they don't want to have anything to do with the Jewish religion, because what is going on at that point in history is several things things. First of all, we've talked about this before, but the Jewish temple had been completely destroyed at this moment. And that was the way that they practiced the religion. They did it through priests. And listen, along with, and we talked about this in 70 AD, the Roman Jewish war, when the Roman... Uh, army came in and completely destroys Jerusalem, it slaughters 1.1 million Jews and destroys the temple. They also destroyed all of the records, all of the records. Now you cannot prove who is the Levitical priesthood. They were unable now to have Levitical priests and they were unable now to have a temple. It had these to be able to do what they needed to do they had there was a certain group of people, No, It couldn't just be anybody do the sacrifice. It had to be a Levitical priesthood, and it had to be in a certain place. It had to be in that temple. Now we have neither of those things. So we've got a problem, and it was not just a problem that the Gentiles saw. It was a problem that the Jewish people saw. Now, you need to understand today, if you see somebody that is practicing a Jewish religion, it's not the same religion. It's what they call rabbinic Judaism now. That's what they have now, and what was going on is they, the Jewish people were going, how can we continue what we've always done and what we've always known, and, and the, the problem was is that they, that they couldn't, so they came up with a different faith or a different way called rabbinic Judaism, what we now know today. Well, the the new, the Christians, these Gentiles, they didn't want to have anything to do with that for another reason. The Jewish people at this point in history tended to side with Rome against the Christians. They didn't, the Jews didn't like the Christians. They, first of all, they were just like, you know what, y'all make us look bad because we are saying that Jesus is not the Messiah. Our Messiah has not come yet. Y'all are saying that he is. And not only that, y'all are taking our sacred text. Y'all are calling it Christian text, but it's actually our history. It's our scripture. You're making us look bad. You're you are not what Pastor Jared was talking about last week. Y'all are into monotheism. There's only one God. Y'all will not be, y'all won't for one second declare that Caesar is Lord. You declare that there's only one Lord. And they were like, listen, we kind of bend on a couple of these things so that we can stay in good graces with them. And so they would side with Rome and the Christians didn't like that at all. They were like, you know what, these guys are, are, are jerks. But not only are they jerks, they're kind of weird. That was another thing that they didn't like. And, and when I say that, I, I'm not trying to bring any disrespect on, on J- the Jews or Jewish faces. You'll find out in just a second. It, it couldn't be further from the truth in my heart. But what they said is this. These people are, <clears throat> they're a, a, a clique to themselves they are, they're always off to themselves. They don't work on one day. That's weird. Um, There's certain things that they won't eat. We love pork. they stay away from it. They think it's gross. Um, if we invite them over to our house, they won't come. They'll never invite us over to their house. They won't let our sons marry their daughters. And they don't want to marry. See, at that time, man, it was, it was such... The Jews, they, set, they, they had a community that they wanted to keep kosher. They didn't want to mix with, with anybody else. And so it kind of put off the, 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 the Gentiles at the time, the Christians at the time. And so as all of this is going on, the Christians go, you know what? We don't want your religion, but we want the book. Because we want to find out where this kind of stuff, where it came from. They took the book, but they didn't take the culture. You understand what I'm saying? Their interest was not historical. It wasn't cultural. Gentiles' interest in the book was strictly Christological. And that may be a new word for some of you guys. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Christological. What's the first part of that word? Christ. That's all they were interested in. Christ. And so they started to study the sacred Hebrew text. They start to look in what we call as the Old Testament, and they are not looking for the Hebrews. They're not looking for the story of the Jewish people. They are looking for Christ. And boy, they found him everywhere. They found him in places that they were not, that Christ was not. They had their own interpretation of these scriptures, and Gentiles would actually at that time reject Jewish interpretation of their own text, and this made the Jewish people even more mad. They were like, how can you take our text and then you tell us what it means? we know what it means. In response to that, the Gentiles at that time said, we reject your your interpretation of your own text because you miss your own Messiah. How can you expect me to, to interpret and take your interpretation if you can't even interpret who your prophet Isaiah said? It's To the T, we realize it's pointing to Jesus, and you still reject that. If you reject that, they said, then I reject you. And, And there was this conflict going on, man, between Jewish people and what we call the way, the Christians, the Gentiles. And it was making the Jewish people mad that the Gentiles were taking their sacred text. It was making the Gentiles mad that they, the Jews, were siding with Rome all the time. And all this stuff is going on. And you can go and read, uh, at at one point, the Apostle Paul has to kind of stand up for the Jewish people. And and he, he, in one of his writings, he's like, hey, Gentiles, don't get so uppity, man. Don't think that you're something that you're not, don't have a bad attitude towards Jewish people. That, that shouldn't ever be how it is, he says, because if it wasn't for, and because Paul was a Jew, in fact, they called him in his day, the king of the Jews. He says, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't even have a messiah. So, so he was trying to keep the peace, but guess what? In spite of what Paul said, there was still conflict going on at this point in history into the first century and into the second century. So what happened is the early church took the Hebrew text, and this is what they did. They baptized it, they Christianized it, and they allegorized it. And unfortunately, they downplayed or completely ignored but certainly didn't teach sequentially the fabulous, gritty, epic history of the Hebrew people. It's something that we do need to know. It's something that we do need to embrace because the Old Testament chronicles God's redemptive, sequential activity and his history in the world. Last week, we saw that Genesis, in Genesis, God shows up in the beginning as the creator. Everybody say creator. So he's creating, and very quickly in the book of Genesis, he takes off his creator hat, and then he puts on his founder hat. He has to... Be the founder of something because there's a problem going on with the way that he wanted everything to, to be able to, 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 to go in the world. And so God begins founding a nation in order to bring redemption to the world. Do you hear what I said? I'm going to say that again. Maybe take that down and write it in your notes today. God began to found a nation in order to bring redemption to the entire world, God has a plan. And so he starts with this guy that has no family, he has no children, his name is Abraham. Y'all remember Abraham? Father Abraham has many sons. Okay, that's about the Jewish Hebrew culture, okay? Guess what, I was not born a Jew, I'm a Gentile. So this is history that I'm reading about that's from a different culture, okay? And so Father Abraham, he birthed a nation, but it was with an international, multi-generational purpose that God has that we all know eventually leads to the Son of God. It gets there somehow, but you need to know the history of how that gets there. This nation will eventually, that comes from Abraham eventually gets enslaved to Egypt, many of you know the story, a nation that would eventually be enslaved by this superpower, by this Pharaoh who considered himself to be God, or one of the gods, and so this nation is now being enslaved for years and years, and and at the right time, God sent his servant Moses Maybe you could call him the Savior Moses, who now he comes into this environment. He goes to Pharaoh, sent by God, and he says, The one true God says, Let my people go. And he speaks on behalf of God. And so God spoke through Moses to Pharaoh, and in terms that only a Pharaoh or somebody in his position could understand it was through violence and power, and at the end of this epic story, he frees these people, and they leave Egypt, and they leave Egypt wealthy. You can go read. The text says that they so plundered this nation that the Egyptian people were happy for the Hebrews to leave. Then Moses leads them up to Mount Sinai, and there God establishes a covenant. Everybody say covenant. We're going to talk about that for a little bit. A covenant. Say it again. Covenant. The covenant that I'm about to talk about is what we all refer to as the old covenant okay but you understand that's not the only covenant that is recorded in the old testament or in the hebrew scripture y'all understand that it's one of them but if you ever hear somebody say the old covenant the one they're referring to is the one that was established on mount sinai through moses now listen let's talk about covenant for a second i'll give you a quick Very quick, uh, uh, little basic definition of what a covenant is. A covenant is a bond between two parties. Very simply, that's all it is. It's a bond between two parties. So think about that. It's where two parties come together, and they make a binding agreement. But the Hebrew word for covenant that you find in the Old Testament has two meanings. The first meaning is this. This means to share a meal. And, and that makes sense, right? You, you, if you sit down and you share a meal with somebody, you create a bond with somebody. You speak to them. You're, you're sharing a conversation. You're forming a bond. But the second part of that, the Hebrew word, uh, the root word there for covenant, it literally means to cut. Whoosh! To cut. To cut. To cut. In fact, back in those days, this is way before Jesus is around, back in those Old Testament days, they would say they were going to cut a covenant. Okay? And the way that this would usually work out is is one party would come to another party and they would say, We're going to cut a covenant. We're going to form a covenant, my people and your people. And what we're going to do is they would literally take a bull and they would cut this bull in half, man. And this, there would be blood, it would be gory, there would be blood everywhere. And the two people that were the, the, the leaders representing a people group would walk together saying, We're cutting a covenant. And they would walk through the blood of the animal as if to say, If I break this covenant, if I don't do what I said I was gonna do, let it be done unto me as what was done unto this animal. So everybody say, It's serious in our day covenant doesn't mean that much okay but what we're reading we're about to read is not in our day understand this is reader relevance is what we're talking about the covenant that we're talking about this is way back then and what they would understand as covenant so back back in even jesus's day they were even taught this and when they saw the word covenant This is what it meant to them when Jesus would say covenant or they would read about their father, Abraham, having a covenant or Noah having a covenant or God creating a covenant through Moses. When they saw this in their sacred text, they would think these words. It means to cut. It means it's serious. And they would have a ceremony when they made this. Okay, so you need to understand that covenant was something very serious. When we in our term, you know, in our day and age, when we hear the word covenant, what do we think? We think contract, right? And it's a little bit different because in a, in a today in a contract, say, if me and Pastor Jared come into a contract, and if, if I break that contract, then if I break the contract, then that contract is what? It's void, right? It's null and void. But listen, back then, that meant that he, if in our contract, if I broke it, that meant Jared didn't have to, to live up to his end of the deal. But a covenant takes it a step further that in a covenant, when two parties come together, if one person doesn't live up to their end, he still has to live up to his end because he made an oath, let this happen to me. I'm not saying I'm not concerned about what you're doing. I'm concerned about what I'm doing. Okay, and so I'm cutting a covenant. Now, please get what I'm about to say. And it's gonna, it might sound a little too teachy for just a second, but then all of a sudden you're gonna be like, why did I never hear this before? Okay, so not only were there several covenants, there were several in that day, different types of covenants. And you need to write that down in your notes. There were three types of covenants back in Old Testament times. They were called this. I'll put them up on the, on the uh, screen for you. The first one is called a grant covenant. Everybody say grant. The second is a kinship covenant. Say kinship. And the third is a vassal covenant. Everybody say vassal. Now very quickly, super important, but very quickly, let me tell you the definition of what these. A grant covenant is a covenant when a greater and a lesser person come into a covenant, and the greater one takes on all of the obligations, the lesser one only needs to receive the covenant. Leave that definition up here. Pastor Jared, come over here and help me out right quick. So let's say, way, 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 back before Jesus' days, there was this superpower. Kind of like in Jesus' day, the Roman they were an empire okay but this is for Jesus day and there was this tribe of people that grew and grew and grew to great power the greatest power in the land and they were called the Brooksites Amen. and they were led by King Jared okay <laughs> and way back in that day at the same time there is this measly little tribe small little group of people and they were called the Celtsites. and they were just led by a dad who had a lot of kids. That's me. (laughs) And those kids had a lot of kids. And anyway, they married and they became this small tribe, but they were a proud group of people, okay? And somehow they got into relationship, okay? And one day, this great power, this great king comes to a lesser people. And he says, Kevin, because we have a relationship, and I I just feel so much grace towards you. I know that from time to time, other tribes in this area, they pick on you because you're a small people and you don't have much power. And so they know that the Celtite name doesn't mean much. I want to enter into a grant covenant with you. And I'm like, because I know what that means. It means he has all of the responsibility because I can't add anything to him. When somebody comes to fight his people, he doesn't need my help, right? He just says, hey, you, 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 we have the greatest army in the land, just take 12 of my 108 companies and go get those people out. I have one group of people, and when they come again, he says, so you're gonna enjoy all the benefits of this covenant. I am giving you a grant." covenant. You don't have any obligations, Keltsites, in this covenant. All you need to do is to receive it. Everybody, that's a good covenant, right? Thank you, Pastor Jerry. Everybody give Pastor Jerry a hand. That, That would be called a grant covenant. Now, the second type of covenant is what we call a kinship covenant. This is a covenant when two equal parties would come together as in a marriage. Each party would take a small list of obligations in the covenant. Uh, well, Pastor let me get you back up here again, okay? And let me get uh, Pastor Dylan to come up here. Everybody give Pastor Dylan a hand. So this is what would happen. So let's just say these are two, like, kind of middle the, of the way. It's the Brookside's. And it's the uh, Mississippites, okay. And and they they come together and they're like, hey man, you know, we want to form a covenant. And 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 Pat, is like, I want your people to be my people, and vice versa. If 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 anybody comes against your people, your enemies are my enemies. Your friends are my friends. We want to do this. We want to cut a covenant. So they they prepare this ceremony, right? But in a kinship covenant, they, they would be equal. But here's the thing. They would both have obligations in this. So it, coming to this, they would go ahead and they would have somebody write down on paper what my obligations are. So I, and you would say, and, and you would take it and you would, I'm going to give it to you right here. And it would have all these rules on it that say, we're going to follow these rules. And then I would give you a list of rules too and they're duplicate copies. It's the exact same copy, okay? God, the same thing, and what would happen is this. Pastor Jared would say, now we're about to walk through this, these bulls, and Pastor Jared would say, okay, here's the thing. I agree to these things, and in doing that, I say this. If I break these rules, and if I break this covenant, so be it unto me as if this bull, but the person that's gonna bring that retribution upon me is my God because you have a God and you have a God. We're not saying that we believe the same. We just say we wanna be allies, okay? So if somebody comes against you, they know that they're coming against me because I am your, I got your back. So I always got your back, and here's the thing. If I break this covenant, I, my God is gonna come and he's gonna smite me. He's gonna make sure that I'm just like that bull. And you would do the same thing. And so what happened, listen to this. In that day, a lot of people don't understand this, but y'all do understand one thing, that Jewish people had what was called the Ark of the Covenant, right? All it was was pretty much this, well, they made it into a very beautiful box, but at that time, all the people groups, they didn't come up with that idea. All the people groups had their own type of religion, their own God, and their own Ark. And so what you would do is you would take your, understanding of the obligations, you would, y'all would walk through together, and then you would go back to your temple, and you would place your set of the obligations in that ark. You would do the same. Okay, y'all go sit down. That's a kinship covenant. That's a kinship covenant. The last one is this, a vassal covenant. A vassal covenant is like a grant covenant, because it has a greater And a lesser. But here's where it gets different. It's where a greater and a lesser person come into a covenant, but it's based upon this. It's based upon the greater one's ability to destroy the lesser one. Now, instead of destruction, the greater one offers the lesser one safety in exchange for the ability to collect taxes and tributes, to take slaves, and so forth. So, what would happen is this. I'm not gonna make Pastor Jared come back up here. I already got him to sit down. Pastor Jared is the greater. He's the Brooksites and I'm the measly Celtites. I'm, I, I partnered and covenanted with the Mississippites and we went in a war and, and what happened is we came up against the wrong guy and he's the empire. And you know what? Your people got completely taken out and mine almost did. And in his mercy, he comes to me and he says, I'm gonna enter into covenant with your people, but it's on conditions. I'm going to enter into a vassal covenant, and here's the condition: I will honor I will offer you safety. You will be able to live in my land. What was once your land is now my land. But I'm not going to wipe you out. I'm not going to wipe your whole name out. you should You should be thankful of that because I could. But in, in, in for doing that, I'm going to give you a ton of sets of rules, and you're going to have to pay taxes to me. And pretty much, you will be my slaves. That's what, that, that's what the vassal covenant looks like. So there's the three, right? There's the three different. We got the what? The first grant, then kinship, then vassal. Has, has anybody ever heard of this before? It's amazing, okay? So check this out. Uh, Jews in their day really understood this because they were in a vassal covenant with Rome. Rome was oppressing them. They had to pay their taxes to Caesar, and they did, right? But they hated it. They hated that vassal covenant because he held. they held it over their head. We're the greatest and you're the lowest, okay? That's the vassal covenant. But listen, there are five major covenants in what we know today as our holy Bible, the canon of scripture. The five major covenants are this. The first one is the one that God made with Noah. And we can put it up on the screen for you. There's Noah, then the God made a covenant with Abraham. Then God made a covenant with David. Then God makes a covenant with Moses. And then we have the new covenant that's made God makes through Jesus. That's the one that we all live in now, okay? And thank God for that. So here's the thing, though. Each one of those covenants can be one of the three covenants. This is what a lot of people don't understand. This is where God seems to be misrepresented many times in the Bible, and we get very confused. Why is God doing these things? I'll explain it to you in just a second. So what happens is this. Let's look at the first covenant. The first covenant is one that God made with Noah. We find it in Genesis chapter nine, verse 11. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Follow with me. It says this. God says, I establish my, what? My covenant with you, Noah. Never again will life be destroyed by the water of the floods. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Right? Everybody remembers this story. God asked Noah to build an ark. He built an ark. He got his sons and their wives, and he got his wife on there with a bunch of animals, right? It floods, 40 days, 40 nights. Then one day, they'd be able to see some dry land. This is the conversation that God is having with Noah when they get on the dry land, and God says in verse 12, this is the sign of the covenant. Everybody say covenant. It can be one of the three types of covenants, though, but this is the Noahic covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. Listen to this, a covenant for all all generations to come. So this is not just a covenant for Noah and in his day, this is for all of us, right? He says, I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds on the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all creatures of every kind on the earth. Now, Noah is, this is the covenant God made with Noah. So Noah's the one in this covenant, right? What obligations does Noah have? None. We are also involved in this covenant too, right? What obligations do you have? None. So what type of covenant does this sound like? It's a grant covenant. God is the greater right, and he says, listen, I'm coming to you, I'm taking on all responsibility, all you have to do is just receive it, man, that's a great, grant covenants are awesome, they're the best, they're the best covenants, okay, so let's jump all the way, and there's several covenants, and I do not have time to get all of them, but eventually, we will get into it one day, okay, so 400 years later, or for 400 years, let's fast forward to Moses, 400 years later, y'all know the story, let my people go. He lets them go. All that stuff happens, Red Sea, Red Sea parts, and the people are out. They are just a a, a 40 days walk from the promised land, but then there's Mount Sinai. God calls all of the people, all of the uh, almost 2 million people up to the mountain because he wants to have a covenant, and God has a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan. He does. He has a great plan. In fact, his plan is, is to continue doing what he has done previously. He did it with Noah, he did it with Abraham, they were both grant covenants, I'm the greater and I'm just coming to you because I love you. He does it again with these people, but these people, guys, you have to understand, they are coming out of a mentality of 400 years of slavery. We have no idea what that's like, okay? 400 years of slavery. They're a little bit messed up mentally. They're a little bit backward in what they have thought for years and years and years. And so when somebody in great power comes to them and says, I want to do good things for you, they've only been for 400 years with somebody who said they were God and treated them differently. You think it would be easy to trust And God brings them the grant covenant. It's in Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, and he said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, all the people that just came out. Tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, and now I've carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I'm your father. I love you. Now, if you obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you'll be my treasured possessions. They've not heard these words before, and maybe if they did, there was always an ulterior motive behind it. And then he says this, although the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom. Everybody, the whole kingdom will be priests. The whole kingdom will be a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God came offering a grant covenant with all of them. But there was a lot going on, and I don't have time to get all into it, but they, were, they, had, they had trust issues. And so they reject the covenant. And what happens is, They prepare themselves. They go through a ceremony to be able to have this covenant. And now they start to approach Mount Sinai. And they get kind of freaked out. It's it's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I'll put it up on the scripture for you. Verse 24, they say to Noah, And you said, The Lord our God has shown us in the glory and his majesty, and we have heard this voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a person can live, and even if God speaks with them. So they were so in their mind, they thought, Anybody that's in power is always there to get something out of you or kill you. And then they see God do these awesome, awesome things. And they're like, wow, this God is powerful. This God is mighty. And they're like, whoa, man. And, and, and if we, if we, get on, we don't want to get on his bad side, like if we ever heard his voice, he would, it would kill us. He's so awesome and mighty. And then they said right here that we have learned that you can hear his voice and not die. Right? A person can live even when God speaks to them. Verse 25, but now, why should we die? See, they're, they, got, they got split minds. This great fire will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord of God any longer. Verse 26, for what mortal has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the fire as we have and survive? And right here is the change. It's the shift. They reject the grand covenant. And they say this, uh, you be our representative, Moses. You go near and listen to all that the Lord God says and then tell whatever the Lord God tells you and we will listen and will obey. I can't stress the significance of this enough. God wanted to come and speak to everybody. He wanted everybody to be priests. He wanted, and it's, it's, it's just, I'm just gonna bless you. I've, have you not seen everything that I have done for you up to this point? Have you not seen how I delivered you? You are my holy nation. Everybody, I want to have a relationship with you. And they go, whoa, 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 whoa. We'll just send Moses. Moses, you, you, you go, you go, you go. And then he goes, guys. And you remember the story. This is where it switches. And, and Moses is like, God, they, they reject a grant covenant. They, they want it like this. They want you to give them rules. They want a set of rules that if they do this, they know that they'll be okay. And if they do that, they know that that's bad. And get this. This is so crazy because I showed you how the, the kinship covenant worked, how the ceremony worked, and this is where it, it just gets really messed up. Moses comes down after speaking to God. How many tablets did he have? Two tablets. What was on the two tablets? The Ten Commandments. But get this. You can go and, I didn't put it up on there, but you can go look at, write this down and look at this later. But uh, it actually says in Exodus chapter 32, verse 15, uh, speaking of these two tablets, they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. Have you ever noticed that before? So what what it was this, he came down. It's not like the movie that you saw, 1 through 5 on this tablet, 6 through 10 on this tablet. God says these are the commandments. He came down with duplicate copies. 1 through 5 on the front, flip it over, 6 through 10 on the back. Duplicate copy. But God is making... They're entering into a kinship covenant. Now, I showed you earlier what would happen. Jared would go over to his temple. He would put his copy in there, and his God would be the punisher if he didn't live up to what he did. Your people, the Mississippites, they went. You went to your temple, but who are they making this with? So let's say Jared is, Pastor Jared is, the hebrew nation here comes moses he has both of them because they're making a covenant with somebody they can't even see with god now get this they go back and they take both copies and put them where in their temple in what in the ark and so now in this covenant In this, now that you understand what a kinship covenant is, if they break the rules, the obligation, who is the punisher? God is not only the punisher, but God has entered into a kinship covenant with them that when later on, when they get, because then they go along and they eventually get crazy kings. And these crazy kings are not godly men. And these godly men go and start wars against people that God never said. But then what happens? Who do they have a covenant with, kinship covenant? Who not only is their punisher when they break the rules, but who is the one that has their back in this covenant, in this kinship covenant? God does. So guys, this puts God in a situation, you've heard Pastor Jared say this over and over, but this was not the way that God chose. God chose to bring a grant covenant with them, they rejected it, they entered into a kinship covenant, and now this puts God in a place, maybe you've heard this, Psalms 138, it says this, is a scripture that says that God values his word above his name. If you read in Hebrew scripture, you'll see that God has many names, Right, he's Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. He's Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. What happens though is when they're in this covenant and they go with a crazy king and start kicking somebody's tail and start killing somebody's kids, does God look like a healer and a provider to that nation? Guess what? I'm a Gentile. I was not ever included in any. Of it. I was one of the ites. So to me and my people. God doesn't, and guess what happened? What happened is God has honored his word above his name. His name is what? Jehovah, Jireh, my provider. Rapha, my healer. But he has honored his word above his name in this covenant, and now the heart of God is misrepresented to all of these people. And so now you have somebody in today's world coming to you opening up the scripture, showing you exactly what happened, where God is slaughtering people, where God is actually judging the Hebrew people with death because it says, if you do this, you will die. That's not our covenant. That's not where we're at. God did not choose that, but he was put in a situation where he had to honor his word above his name. And now you wonder why Jesus had to come, destroy that covenant, start a new one, and not only that, destroy that old, the, the temple had to be destroyed, the, all the, the records had to be destroyed. It was never his plan to begin with. Is this starting to, some light bulbs starting to go off? I know for a second were like, oh, my gosh, this is like going to school. There's so many covenant, grand kinship, say this, blam, 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 blam. But now it's making sense. And when somebody now comes to you and you go, God wants to know you as Father God. He is a God of mercy and love. And then they open up what you study out of and read out of and go, nope, not today. Because he's killing people. He's judging people. Now you can go, okay, okay, okay. This is what's going on. This is why those things were happening. God did not choose those things. But he had to honor his word above his name. And now that's gone away. Those things are are passed away. And then, I love this. Paul picks up on this. Listen to this, guys. Paul picks up on this. In 2 Corinthians, he's writing a letter to a church. That is coming out of the transition of the old covenant into the new covenant, and he sends them this letter, and he says this. And second, write this down and go read this a bunch this, this next week. But in Second Corinthians chapter three, listen to this: We are not like Moses. Think about what he's saying. That's the old covenant, who would put veil a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. What was passing away? Their covenant, right? But their minds were made dull for to this day. See, their minds were made dull. They they couldn't understand who God really was because they got him into a covenant he didn't want to be in. Listen to this. For to this day, the same bell remains. This is not him speaking to us. This is him speaking to people that are just right coming out of the Old Covenant. He says the veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. That's what was happening at the time. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, he says, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Wow. Wow. And it breaks the heart of God because his heart has been misrepresented, even even in what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scripture. And it's key for us to understand the Old Covenant was not a covenant that God wanted. It was a covenant that those people chose. And what's even crazier is that even though the people chose it, they couldn't even keep it. What was the first two that they said? This is the covenant that we're going to have with you. We sent our representation. We cut covenant. What's the first two? No other gods before me. What's the second one? No images. And if we do this, we agree that our God will punish us. Come down off the mountain and what have they done? They done broke the first two. Oh, there's another God over here. Oh, we took all our gold. We melted it into a cat. He's the one that brought us out of Egypt. That day, 3,000 people died because they broke the covenant. They were punished by God, and it broke his heart to do it. He never wanted to be put in that situation. Guys, guess, guess what happens in the new covenant? The new covenant happens. Jesus dies, he's raised from the grave. 50 days later, the spirit of God is poured out. Come on, somebody. Then all of a sudden, Peter gets up and he starts preaching. And when he starts preaching, 3,000 people don't die, 3,000 people come to life. That's the new covenant. The law kills. Come on, but God gives life. Is it making sense now? Because I bet you heard that a little bit differently before, right? It gets worse. It not only starts, it starts as a kinship covenant, and I got, I, man, I got so much, but I, I got to land this plane, okay? It starts as a kinship covenant, but then when the person that represents the people dies, it's opportunity to reassess that covenant, God offers them another grant covenant. You can go look this up later. Deuteronomy chapter 5 through 28. In that Moses pins another 603 commandments. You know what they did? They wrote them down and guess where they put them? In the ark of the covenant. So now you don't just have to keep this is this not ludicrous what they're doing? Now you don't just have to keep that. He goes, God, it's not just going to be 10. We're adding 603. Now there's 600. They couldn't keep two. <laughs> it's 613. Moses dies. God says, grand covenant, grand covenant. They say, no, the Levite, the Levitical priesthood gets up. They have a ceremony. You can go read about this in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-seven. This is where they release, they they get excited about the curses. They say this. I'll read it to you very quickly. Then the Levites shall recite to all the people in Israel in a loud voice. Cursed is anyone who makes an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord. The work of the skilled hands is set up in secret. Then all the people shall say Amen, and all the men shouted, all the people shouted. They did. Remember how bad a vassal covenant was. Then they, just go read Deuteronomy twenty-seven, curses, 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 and they're like, "Amen, amen, amen." Get to twenty-eight. Then it says this: If you fully obey with the Lord God and carefully follow His commands, you give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations. All blessings will come to you. Now we're in the blessings and accompanying you if you obey the Lord. To which he starts to say, If you do this, you'll be blessed. And they go, Amen, Amen. And we look down on these people. But isn't this how we still do church today? We say, Pastor Jared, listen, man, I just, I'm just a nobody. I had, growing up, I had problems, I had this and this happen to me, my family situation was like this and this and that, I'm just, I'm just somebody that was in Egyptian slavery for 400 years, I don't get all this love that you're talking about, how about, how about, how about about this, you have a relationship with God, you study the word, and then every Sunday I'll come show up and you tell me what I should do to to be blessed and what I don't do, need to do to be cursed, and then that's how we do it. And it's a mixture, and that's not how. That's what Christianity's been been reduced to so much that, that people are will, will hold up picket signs when they finally find their covenants that are their, their parts of the old covenant of the law that they like. I'm good at keeping these, and they're not going to list the six hundred and thirteen. They just like the two that they like, and then they pick you know one that somebody else is doing. And they say, God hates you and God's bringing judgment on you, which is completely taken out of context because it was a different covenant and it was misrepresenting the heart of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is how crazy it gets. I sent you a video yesterday that it was a pastor preaching this message. And I was in tears when I was hearing this guy say these crazy, crazy, crazy things. And it gets to the point where we're just like, I I don't, I'm so confused. I mean, don't we need to keep some, aren't these good if we have rules and, and, and it gets to the the point where in in, in in the when the early church starts, they were they were kind of confused. And, and these, these people that were Gentiles, they did start to believe in Jesus Christ, and, and that was going really good. And then these Judaizers came in and they say, Oh man, that's good that you're free in Christ and all that stuff. But 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 but, but listen, we know about the Jewish law and we know how to get really close to God. And if you really want to get close, you need to keep all the laws, man. And one of the laws that you need to do right now is you need to get circumcised to prove that you're in all the way to all all the guys that here and went, wait, what is it? well, time out. There's going to be an operation in church today. I did not want, I did not, my wife did not tell me about that on Father's Day. And Paul, I want his letter to the church in Galatia, writes this in Galatians chapter five, verse two, he says this, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value of you to all. He says this, he says If you go and start trying to do and be and uh, relate to God under the law, under the old covenant, then what Christ did was in vain. It was for nothing. That's what he's saying. And then he says this, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law, not just the 10 that you like or the blessings that you read about in Deuteronomy 28, but all 613 to which I land this plane with this. This is how ridiculous this would be. There was a lady who had a nationally syndicated radio show named Dr. Laura. On her program, she said that we need to observe as much of the law that was given to Moses as we possibly can. There's so much mixture that I was brought up in. And this is what she's sharing right here. So one of the listeners sat down and wrote her a letter that I wanted to share with you today to show you how ridiculous this would be. Ryder says this, Dear Dr. Lara, thank you for doing so much to educate people regarding God's law. I have learned a great deal from your show and try to share the knowledge with as many people as I can, but I do need some advice from you today. However, regarding some of the elements of God's law, I need to know how to follow these. First one, Leviticus 24, or Leviticus 25, 44 states that I may possess slaves both male and female. This is in our Bible. This is in the Jewish scriptures. It's in the Old Testament. Okay, it's in there. He says, provided, it says you can have slaves, both male and female, provided they're from neighboring nations. So You can't just go to any nation. It has to be a neighboring nation. A friend of mine claims that this applies to Mexicans, but not Canadians. Can you clarify, why can't I own a Canadian? I would like to sell my daughter into slavery as sanctioned in Exodus 21, verse 7. It says that. In this day and age, what do you think would be a fair price for a daughter? Next one. I know that I'm allowed to have, I'm not allowed to have contact with a woman while she's on her period of menstruation uncleanliness, as in Leviticus chapter 15, verse 19 through 24. The problem is, how do I tell? I've tried asking women, but most of them taken offense. This is what it would be like if we're going to follow all the law, okay? He says, when I burn a bull on the altar as a sacrifice, I know it creates a pleasing odor to the Lord, as in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 9. Yes, sir, it does, brother. The problem is my neighbors. They claim the odor is not pleasing to them. Should I smite them? I have a neighbor who insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35, 2 clearly states that he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself, or should I let the police do it? Leviticus 21.20 states that I may not approach the altar of God if I have a defect in my side. I have to admit that I wear reading glasses. Does my vision have to be twenty twenty, or is there some wiggle room here? (laughs) Most of my male friends have trimmed their hair, including the hair around their temples. Even though this is expressively forbidden by Leviticus 19.27, how should they die? I know from Leviticus 11, verse six through eight, it says that the skin touching the skin of a dead pig makes me unclean. But can I still play football if I wear gloves? It says this, I know that you have studied these things extensively and thus enjoy considerably expertise in such matters. I'm confident that you can help me out. Thank you again for reminding me that God's word is internal unchanging and for everybody always. PS, it would be a darn shame if we couldn't own a Canadian. That scripture doesn't it doesn't now make sense. See, God had a plan. He wanted to come have a covenant with Moses. He wanted a grand covenant, but they didn't choose a grand covenant. And although it wasn't the one that he wanted to make, God still had a plan. It was a plan that started with Abraham and went through Moses. Then it went through a series of kings and prophets all the way to the story of Jesus. The story is recorded in the Jewish Bible, what we call now the Old Testament. It's the story of the Jewish people. Guys, it's an epic story. It's a great story. It's something that we need to know about. It's something that we can learn from. In reading the story of God's covenant journey with mankind, we see that the Jewish people were a divine means to a divine end. And listen, in being a means to an end, that's what makes somebody meaningful. If you want to live a meaningful life, you have to become a means to an end. That's not in and of yourself. That's the meaning of meaningful. And they were a divine means to a divine end. And what was that divine end? It was God establishing the new covenant through Jesus Christ for all people and for all time. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much today for your word. We thank you for clarity that's coming to us, Lord God, and setting us free, helping us to love all people at all times. You said that they will know your people by this, by love. So, God, that's what we say. In the covenant that, that we're in with you, it's just like in the olden days when, when they had a covenant and they represented that, their God. They represented their nation at all times. We walk around and our heart is to represent you at all times. And you said the way of Noah is by your love. So we ask that today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen. Give God a good hand clap of praise this morning.